So we're going to wrap up this week today, week three. And we are woven together as a church with a calling. Let's say that together. We are woven together as a church with a calling. And so again, we're going to wrap up this series today because we have to know what our purpose is, which is to glorify God. Okay, we have to know what our purpose is to glorify God. Okay, well, let's own it a little bit. We have to know what our purpose is. There we go. And know that we have to be an intentional community with compassion in order to start understanding what it means to be a church with a calling. And if you've been following along in this series, you'll notice that we're kind of almost going chronologically through the book of Mark. So we're, we're going to start there, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to pick up. And this might sound a little familiar intentionally. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat. That sounds familiar, right? And he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have what? Compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. They are that tired, and they are that desperate to keep hearing what I'm saying. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And you're probably thinking the same thing I am. Come on, disciples. This is, this is after he's already fed more people than have already gathered here. This is not the same story repeated twice. There are two different accounts of Jesus feeding thousands and thousands of people. This is already after that, and disciples are saying the same thing again over. Like, okay, weren't you with me when two fish and loaves thing? All right, five loaves, two fish. And, and his disciples answered, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And he asked, same question, right? Well, what do you got? And they said, seven. Ah, more bread than last time. That's important. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over. How many baskets this time? Seven. How many pieces of bread did they start with? Okay. And there were about 4,000 people. And then he sent them away and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanathigua. All right, so, sounds familiar, right? Same story? No, different story. It didn't take long, did it, for the disciples to forget what Jesus had taught them. And if we're talking about being woven together, woven together in this series, there is one part about weaving anything together that we just can't leave out. You can only weave something together when the material is pliable. That's a big word that means bendy, flexible, right? You can only weave something together when it's pliable. This is why we don't make baskets out of bricks. Are bricks pliable? No. This is why we don't make baskets out of straight metal. Is metal pliable? No. This is why we don't make baskets out of sticks or logs, right? Are y'all with, y'all with me? The material that the basket is woven out of, that your shirt and jeans are actually woven or knitted together with different patterns, has to be pliable. Y'all got to be bendy. We got to be bendy for the gospel. In other words, we can't get stuck in a world of me church. That's why we watched those videos. 
Now, when we aren't all flexible and moldable, pliable, bendy by, by the Holy Spirit, we cannot be woven together as a church. Understand that? When we aren't flexible to be who the Lord is calling us to be, to be where the, the Lord is calling us to be, to be the community with compassion that the Lord is calling us to be, when we aren't flexible for the gospel, He can't be glorified. And we cannot be the church woven together. There's this guy named Tom Rayner. Tom Rayner is president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. And prior to that, he served in the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Seminary for 12 years, where he was founding dean of the Billy Graham School of Evangelism and Missions. Now, he's authored a lot of books, uh, which are found on most pastors' reading lists. But from 1990 to 2005, for 15 years, he led the Rayner Group a church and denominational consulting firm in which he worked with over 500 churches and organizations. And in 2013, he wrote an article and also published a book by the same title, and it's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. In this article, he writes 11 things he learned from one of those churches he worked with. And I just want to share this article. It's so good, and it's, and it's rather short. And Tom Rayner writes this, I was their church consultant in 2003. The church's peak attendance was 750 people in 1975. By the time I got there, the attendance had fallen to an average of 83. The large sanctuary just seemed to swallow the relatively small crowd on Sunday morning. The reality was that most of the members did not want me there. They were not about to pay a consultant to tell them what was wrong with their church. Only when a benevolent member offered to foot my entire bill did the congregation grudgingly agree to retain me. So I worked with the church for three weeks. The problems were obvious. The solutions were difficult. On my last day, the benefactor walked me to my rental car. He said, what do you think, Tom? He could see the uncertainty in my expression, so he clarified, how long can our church survive? I paused for a moment and then offered the bad news. I believe this church will close its doors in five years. I was wrong. The church closed just a few weeks ago. When he wrote this, it was 2013, so it lasted about nine years instead of five. Like many dying churches, it held on to life tenaciously. This church lasted 10 years after my terminal diagnosis. My friend from the church called to tell me the news. I took no pleasure in discovering that not only was my diagnosis correct, I had mostly gotten right all the signs of the impending death of the church. Together, my friend and I reviewed the past 10 years. I think we were able to piece together a fairly accurate autopsy. Here are the 11 things he learned. Number one, the church refused to look like the community. The community began a, a transition toward a lower socioeconomic class 30 years ago, but the church members had no desire to reach the new residents. The congregation thus became an island of middle-class members in a sea of lower-class residents. Number two, the church had no community. We talked about that last week, right? Community-focused ministries. This part of the autopsy may seem to be satanly obvious, but I wanted to be certain. My friend affirmed my suspicions. There was no attempt to reach the community. Number three, members became more focused on memorials. If you've ever been in one of those churches with a small brass plaque behind every pew, under every chair, on every bathroom, paper towel dispenser because someone passed on. Now, do not hear my statement, he writes, as a criticism of memorials. Indeed, I recently funded a memorial 
in memory of my late grandson. But the memorials at the church were, were tables, chairs, rooms, and other places where a neat plaque could be placed. The point is that the memorials became an obsession and the church and more and more emphasis was placed on the past. Number four, the percentage of the budget for church members' needs kept increasing. He writes that the church's death, the percentage was over 98% of the church's budget was spent meeting the members themselves' needs. It's crazy, right? Number five, there were no evangelistic emphasis. When a church loses its passion to reach the lost, the congregation begins to die. Number six, the members had more and more arguments about what they wanted. As the church continued to decline toward death, the inward focus of the members turned caustic. Arguments were more frequent. Business meetings became more acrimonious. Number seven, with a few exceptions, pastoral tenure grew shorter and shorter. The pastors didn't stay long. Number eight, the church rarely prayed together. In its last eight years, the only time of corporate prayer was a three-minute period in the Sunday worship service. Prayers were always limited to members, their friends and families, and their physical needs. Number nine, the church had no clarity to why it existed. There's no vision, no mission, no purpose. Number ten, the members idolized another era. All the active members were over the age of 67 of the, in the end of the church, and they remembered finally to the point of idolatry even that, that golden age of the 750 people in 1975. They saw their future to be returning to the past. And the last one here, number 11, the facilities continued to deteriorate. It wasn't really a financial issue. Instead, the members failed to see the continuous deterioration of the church building. Simply stated, they no longer had outsider eyes. They couldn't see what was happening. I just wanted to share this article because when we're talking about what it looks like to be woven together as a church, this is a great list by this guy named Tom Rayner of things that we can't afford to look like, right? Woven together as a church. Now, we might not always do the right thing, but we can sure try to identify what didn't work, right? Not reaching the community, looking inwards, not praying together. And so I want to take just a couple minutes of something that we don't often talk about, but I just want to do the same thing and, and maybe just energize us to, to be together on the same page. Now, we have a purpose statement here at True Life Church. Y'all know what it is? Our purpose statement? We exist to share true life through Jesus Christ, that His salvation. And we have a vision here at True Life Church. And at True Life Church, we hope to be a place, or will be a place where families are valued, where relationships are nurtured, where hope is found, and where the hearts reach into the, take a guess, the community. Here the worship of God will be passionate, Ministries will be meaningful. Missions will change. Our neighborhoods and the world disciples will be made. Fellowship will be encouraged. And evangelism will invite those far from God. You can read the rest of our purpose and vision statement online, but I also want to highlight the last paragraph. True Life Church will be one of the fastest multiplying churches in Brevard County. doesn't mean we necessarily get a thousand people multiplying. We're talking... More out, not more in. True Life Church is going to be one of the fastest multiplying in Brevard County, having a gospel reach all along the Space Coast where hundreds and hundreds of people will come to know True Life Church? No. Will come to know what it means to be in community? No. Where hundreds and hundreds of people come to have free coffee? No. Where hundreds and hundreds of people come to know what? Salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, that's what it's all about. And all that may be great but it's still just words 
on a page unless it is lived and breathed out by you and by me. And if you look up the word church in the dictionary, what is it? Anyone? If you look up the word church in the dictionary, it's a, let me give you a help. It's a n, it's a n, n, it's a noun. If you look at the word church in the dictionary, and you're like, where's he going? I don't know. Hello. Um, if you look at the word church in the dictionary, it is a noun, a building, a place. And we and our culture automatically enter into doomed conversations and thought processes about what church is and what it should look like because we're thinking noun. Church as a noun becomes about, well, it's up. It's about us. But when you read the Bible, you discover that church is not only a noun, it's a verb. Church is a verb. When I lived in Atlanta, before we moved back down here where I grew up, Northern Florida people, um, when we lived in Atlanta, I was just a mile away, uh, the church I was at, from this other church you may have heard of. It's called Passion City Church. I've got a guy there who's a pastor named Louis Giglio, and I've got a worship leader named Chris Tomlin. Um, he's writes some radio songs every once in a while. So that was down the street from the church, and I would have to pass this church very often. And one of the things I loved about their identity there is that when you pass by and you're on Garson Drive in Atlanta, guess what you don't see? You don't see a big honking sign that says Passion City Church. You see the old Home Depot Expo, Huge parking lot and an address on the building, 515 Garson Drive. That's it. You see, they say Passion City Church is the people, and the church simply gathers at 515 Garson Drive. But it reinforces that identity of that, hey, church is not a building. Church is people. Church is not a noun. Church is verb. And see, we may move locations. It's one of the things we talked about and shared with you guys last week. We're in the process of, of looking at another location. So be in prayer for our leaders and, and the elders. And if this is God's will, we're, we're searching and seeking for that. That's one of the reasons we're having that membership meeting next Sunday. So we may move locations, but you know what? Our church will always be made up of what? People. And then hopefully those people, you and me, know what their purpose is to glorify God. Hopefully know those people strive for community and that community needs to show compassion. And when all of our purposes combine to become a compassionate community, then we discover a calling as a church. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Matthew. A little bit before. Matthew chapter 28. It's the last chapter in the book of Matthew. This is after Jesus has already been crucified and buried and resurrected. And it's the last words he says in the book of Matthew, starting in verse 16, chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what is that next word? Teach, right? Teaching them. 
And if our community and our church is to know its calling, then we have to know what to teach. Now, what do we teach? It's the good news, right? You see, often we, we get so worried about the how. Well, how am I going to talk to this person about Jesus? We get so worried about the how. Well, is it going to be uncomfortable? We get so wor- wor- worried about the how. We're, well, they're in line in front of me and I'm behind. It would, just be, it would just be weird. We're so worried about the how that we forget. Jesus didn't say, well, make sure you teach them this way. Instruct them, you know, when and you're doing that thing when you're out shopping. That's the time you want to, you know, like wait and then pounce. Like, no, 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 don't do that. What Jesus said is important what to teach. Not the how, the what. And you know what what is? You know what the what is? It's the good news. And the good news is how Jesus has saved you and made you into a different person. Share that story. Every one of us has a story who knows Jesus. There was a before, there was a meeting him, and there's everything after. And when you want to talk to someone, you don't have to be like, well, I I read this great article, and let me tell you someone else's story. No, no, no. Share your own. We have a story to tell. And that's what Jesus told us to go do. That's what part of our calling is. Turn with me to the book of Acts. This is going to be our final scripture passage for this morning. The book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament. Acts, chapter 2, verses 42. (coughs) And I love, actually, what happens if we pick up to what's going on here in the early church in Jerusalem, if we read the verse prior, and they were added that day about 3,000 people to their church. Can you imagine what it would look like? Tell like, wow, we, well, we had a new visitor. No, we had 3,000. And they all got saved, and they're all part of us. Can you imagine that? And this church, this early church was in Jerusalem. This, this home base, home base that had condemned and crucified Jesus was the same place that this church began and then grew by thousands. So let's pick up what's going on here. And they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and what's the fourth thing? The prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. <coughs> Excuse me. And if you have your pens or pencils out, I want you to invite. I want to invite you to underline a few things in your Bible that I have in mind. You're like, I can't mess it up. Yes, your Bible. You do what you want. Verse forty-six. And what are these three words? If you're following along, and day by day. If you got those underlines, underline day by day, and day by day. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, and you've got here's the second part what? Day by day, those who were being saved. So hopefully you've found those two sections of day by days to underline. You see, our church does not switch from a noun to a verb. By doing nothing. Our church does not switch from a noun to a verb unless all of us commit to each other and walking this journey that God has us on together. Our church does not switch from a noun to a verb until that all does day by day. Y'all with me? When the all does day by day, day by day, 
gets added. There's something we need to remember this morning. It is the Lord that added to their number. Did y'all read that? The Lord added to their number day by day. It's not because of a dynamic pastor. It's not because their worship band was good or better than the other church down the street. There wasn't one. It's not because they had free coffee or child care. It was because the all were devoted to day by day. And when the all were devoted to the day by day teaching and fellowship and communion and prayer, the Lord will add to the number when the people are faithful. I believe there are a lot of churches today resting on yesterday's laurels. We cannot afford to be one of those churches. You see, True Life Church is not successful because of me. True Life Church is not successful because of Tony. Or because of Grace. Or because of Brianna. True Life Church is successful because of us. The us together. And when we are faithful, when the all do day by day, the Lord adds. It's that simple. When we are devoted, the Lord builds. Let's put this in other words. Sunday is not all there is. Sunday is not all there is. Sunday is not all we should be. Our people, you and me, need prayer daily. Jessica Gandy, their son, Jessica Cameron, Connor is in the ICU, or now out of the ICU, or at Florida Hospital Orlando. Our people need prayer daily, day by day, right? Our church needs prayer day by day. We need to be in community together day by day. By day, we need to be teaching and lifting each other up day by day. We need to be growing, growing daily in the Word, reading our Bibles day by day, growing in worship day by day. We need to be reaching daily and showing compassion daily and sharing the gospel daily, inviting daily, letting God build a church inside that home base of people's hearts who have previously condemned Him. There's a lot of Jerusalems. And here, out there, people who have formally condemned him by their lifestyle, by their choices, is the very place God wants to start building a church. Day by day. I don't think y'all are ready for this, but these days of our lives are going to keep going. And you know what? As this world turns... It might even put some of us in a general hospital. But God has sent a guiding light so that we, the young and the restless people, might not just have one life to live. His word and salvation makes us into a bold and beautiful people that God calls all my children. There there is a world out there. And it's not a soap opera. It's not fake. It's real. And they need real Jesus. And they need real compassion. And they need real community. And they need a real church. Because church is not meant to be a noun, y'all. Church is meant to be a verb. And we have been woven together, hopefully as pliable, bendy people who can flex and move as the Lord directs. 
We've been woven together as a church with a calling, and that calling is beyond you and me. It's beyond us. It's not me, church. It's them, church. That calling turns our church from that noun to that verb. That calling means that every one of us needs to give in some capacity, right? Everyone's like, oh, here he goes talking about money. Yeah, that's part of it. What about prayers? Read what the, we read what the early church devoted themselves to. Getting together, praying, communion, fellowship. So important. That calling means that every one of us needs to share. That calling means that every one of us needs to reach and stretch into uncomfortable places and inviting the people who we just automatically assume they know Jesus. That calling means that we assemble all of us with our individual talents and skills and gifts into a powerful, purpose-fulfilling community that shares and is overflowing with compassion and love and uplifting things to say. And that community then shifts from just being a noun on Sunday mornings to a verb that is called church and has a calling straight from the Savior to go find those who need saving. We are woven together as a church with a calling. And we put all those things together of, of being woven together as a person with a purpose and being woven together as a, as a community with compassion and being woven together as a church with a calling. You know what? That's what it means. That's what it means to be woven together. We are woven together this morning. We might not like it. We might not like to stick a reed next to us sometimes. Woven together in this basket. Can't you put that reed somewhere else and be top in the basket? Maybe I'll be over here somewhere away from them. But we are woven together. Not only just as a community that needs to have and share compassion, but we are woven together as a church. Y'all, we is family. And if you like any family, you want that family to what? Grow. I want grandkids. I'm not even 34. I want grandkids, y'all. Get to it. We want our family to grow. There are people who need the Lord. You know who they are? Everybody. Everybody. But we have an advantage because a lot of us in here already know Him. And if we know Him, you know what our calling is? To share Him. Talk about Him. Bring people to know Him. We have been woven together as a church with a calling. Let's close in prayer.